You're listening to the Seahawks Insiders. Second down and two, the handoff to Penny. At the 15, at the 10, at the 5, he's in! Touchdown, Seahawks! Getting you ready for Seahawks football every Sunday. First and 10 at the Seattle 40, play fake Stafford. Going to stop, going to look, gets hit, goes down, back in midfield. Getting to him in the backfield is Daryl Taylor. Here's your host, Jen Mueller. Even when it is not game day or heck even football season, we are here to keep you updated on what is happening with the Seahawks. And there has been no shortage of news coming out of the VMAC in the last few weeks. Jen Mueller and John Boyle with you just to bring you up to speed, give you a little insight and perspective on what the Seahawks have done and where they're going when we start thinking about the draft and the beginning of training camp and the beginning of the year. And John... It's going to be weird and different. It, it, heck, it's already weird and different. We are sitting in the same room doing a podcast together. It's been a while since we've been able to do this. I know. Everybody's back in the building. We're getting back a little bit closer to normal. It's nice. But you're right. For football reasons, it's going to feel a lot different this year. It is. And it's going to be hard not to have guys like Russell Wilson and Bobby Wagner in a locker room. I've covered them in their entire career. And you just get used to seeing them sitting in their lockers or knowing that we've got press conferences with them every week. Yeah, it is strange. I mean, we've we've heard the reasons from Pete and John why, and you can understand why they made those moves. But it is so hard when a guy like Russ and a guy like Bobby, who have just been you know icons for this franchise in the community, just great people, and to to see them move on is is going to be tough on fans. I get it, but it does also create some excitement for what could be coming in the future. Well, and fans will get to show their appreciation or their feelings for both of those guys this year. We know that Bobby Wagner has signed a contract with the Rams. That means that we will see him twice a year. I got to be honest, I don't really want to see him in that uniform. It's going to be strange. And then with Russell Wilson playing for the Broncos, Denver comes to Lumen Field this year. So fans will get a chance to see those guys again. We might not get a chance to see them in the same way, but... And if I could, a quick aside on Bobby Wagner going to division rival, we saw this with Sherman, and I, I hope fans out there most understand it and will be supportive, but I, I want to make sure fans know that, you know, he was released. So don't get mad at Bobby Wagner that he signs with a different team. He did what's best for him. He went back to his hometown. He's from L.A. So, you know, a few fans out there who might be hurt by seeing him for a division rival, uh, let's, let's not put this one on Bobby. And just truly uh, incredible guys in the organization, in the community. And it is time for new guys to make their mark. And I think that there is this I, sense of optimism might not be the right word, but you were just in the league meetings. You've spent time around Pete and John. The, there is a, there's a spark, it sounds like, in their voices. Yeah, they're really excited. It's funny. I was talking to some of the other beat writers, and they were saying, you know, Pete, even by Pete standard, Pete Carroll's standards of being so optimistic and upbeat, he seemed to kind of, even for him, have an extra pep in his step. And this goes back to, we heard this from Pete and John in their press conference, how when, when they made the trade for Russell Wilson, they released Bobby Wagner, Jody Allen told them that it kind of put them back in their wheelhouse, this idea of, you know, what they did when they first got here, building a program with young guys, with a lot of draft capital, with some money to spend in free agency. And and I think they're just both really excited, maybe rejuvenated by this challenge. But, you know, when we talked to Quandre Diggs a couple of weeks ago, he was specifically asked why he would sign. And he was told this is not a rebuild. And he said, I have a hard time believing that Pete Carroll yeah. is going to go through a rebuild and that he's not always competing. 
in some ways, John, it's got to remind him of almost being at USC and doing what he does best. He's going to have to reestablish culture with new guys Mm -hmm. in key positions. He's got a lot of young guys, presumably with as much draft capital as they've now gotten back. I mean, this truly is his wheelhouse, not just from his NFL experience with Seattle, but from what he did for so many years at SC. Yeah, and that's an important point to make that, yes, they're going to be younger, there's going to be a lot of new guys, but this is not a tear-it-down, be-really-bad-to-try-to-get-the-first-pick-next-year, both because just Pete Carroll and John Schneider are competitive, don't have that in their nature, and also, I don't think in the NFL that's always the wisest model because, look, the idea is you get a good young team, you find your quarterback and build around him. If you strip it down to the bones then find your quarterback and you're a terrible roster, guess what? By the time that quarterback is, you don't, you lose that window of maximizing the quarterback being in, in his rookie contract and kind of building a good team around him. So they're going to be competing at every turn to be as good as they can this year. But yeah, it does become a challenge when you're figuring out the quarterback. Well, and I think that's where people get hung up on this, right? Is that you knew that you had a franchise quarterback in Russell Wilson. Although I would take it back to his rookie year you weren't sure what you had Mm -hmm. with him either, right? So let's make sure that we're looking at this with open eyes all the way around. It seems to indicate that if you don't have that proven entity, that it has to be a rebuild. That's not the case. And I've talked to many people inside the organization who have said the word rebuild has never come up in any of their conversations. You have to trust that to some degree. Now, I realize things can change. Pieces can move around. But if it centers on the quarterback, let's hear what Pete Carroll has to say with Drew Locke because his time and his numbers in Denver don't indicate that he is that top-level quarterback. But Pete does see a path towards winning with Drew Locke. If he plays like he did early on, I think he got a shot. You know, If you, you go back to his uh, his first year when he was when – Balling as as a rookie, um, in those when he was four and one. Um, yeah, he tied John Elway's record for both wins as a as a, as a rookie, right? Yeah, in so, five I mean, games. Yeah, his, history, so. his third down numbers, you know, were terrific. Um, taking care of the football really well, and and all. He just did. It just didn't for whatever reason. The coordinator left after that time. Times changed for him, and then the, the just he didn't you know he didn't play to that same level. So exactly what we had evaluated, John's you know the process had evaluated, he showed, and so you know John stayed with it and followed him all the way through his career, and we've watched it happen. We think he's still that guy, and so we'll see. You know if, if he can. What we need in our offense is the same thing we've always needed, whether it was Carson Palmer or Russell Wilson. We need a point guard. We need a guy that plays the, plays the game and moves the football around to the guys that are open and does all of the things that manages the game so that we can play great football because we're going to win with defense. We're going to win with how we play in special teams, and we'll run the football to help the whole thing fit together. And that's, that's never changed. This is going to be really interesting to me to watch Drew Locke if he is a guy, and we don't know that he will be yet. There's going to be competition uh, Pete Carroll's made that very clear, but he's a guy that's got a lot of the, you know, big playability, big arm, but as Pete Carroll referenced there, you want that point guard type, and one of the knocks on him, he's turned it over quite a bit, and Pete Carroll's not going to stand for that. He's not, if, if he's the starter, he's not going to keep that job a long time if he's turned it over, so they're going to have to rein that in, but the big playability's there, the big arm, and as they reference his rookie year, when, when he had uh, Rich Scangarello was the coordinator that year that he had his most success over. That's a Mike Shanahan version of the West Coast offense. And guess what? That's what they're doing now with Shane Waldron here. So not the exact same offense, but it's. I think he's going to be more comfortable in this type of offense. The other thing to keep in mind about his rookie year is that he had a thumb injury 
in training camp and he missed a large part of the mm-hmm. season. He came back late. You have to think that when you've got a young guy trying to learn a system, you miss time hurt. And as a quarterback with a thumb injury, that's going to affect you somewhat. Here's what we know about Drew Locke. He has been in the NFL for three years. He was the second round pick of the Broncos. He does have that big arm at Missouri. He was setting records for the most yards thrown by any quarterback in the NCAA in 2020, he tied Carson Wentz for the most interceptions in the NFL that year. He had 15, and he did it in far fewer games. He's only played 24 games in his career. So what I would say, when I look at the numbers, and I don't like the completion percentage or the interception to touchdown ratio, I would also say that's not a large sample size. Yeah, I I think they're evaluating this a lot more on their college evaluations. Look, this is a guy who hasn't got for the greatest start in his career, but we saw a guy who just three years ago looked like one of the best quarterbacks in the draft and who we think we can still bring the best out of if given the opportunity. We're going to hear from Drew Locke in just a second on why he didn't have those numbers in Denver that everybody projected. But before we hear from him, I want to ask you this question because this is another sticking point for a lot of people. When Pete Carroll says he needs a quarterback who can be a point guard, is that a degrading term or is that a, a a loaded term for quarterbacks? I think it depends on how you're interpreting it. There's some people who take that to mean you want the game manager who's going to throw the ball 20 times a game and not make big plays and just hand the ball off a bunch. But I don't think that's what Pete Carroll means. I just think he wants someone who can run the offense efficiently, take care of the football, number one. But it's not this dink and dunk, like, let's be safe. They love to throw the ball downfield and will continue to do so. So, yes, in terms of Pete Carroll's never going to probably want to be a one-man show where you're throwing it 50 times a game week in and week out. But he still wants a quarterback to go out and be a playmaker. I mean, even Russell Wilson's early years when they had Marshawn Lynch, he's still making a heck of a lot of big plays, and that's what they want. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I'm just curious, and Drew Locke didn't seem phased by it. In fact, Drew Locke seemed phased by absolutely nothing during his introductory press conference, and he was asked point Blake, what went wrong in Denver, and here's how he reflected on his time with the Broncos. You know, anyone that, you know, deals in the football realm as a quarterback, you know there's a lot of stuff that goes on around you. And let me start with this too, though. I will never make excuses for my play. I could have played a lot better in the seasons that I was that I was playing there. I did some good things, but there's a lot of things I could have done a lot better. You know, with everything that happened with COVID, not being able to practice, the new offensive coordinator, firing the first offensive coordinator after my first year, there's just a lot that went into those three years. And again, I could have played a lot better. I'll own up to that. But as far as what I feel like I can do different, I'm just going to have the mindset of competing the whole time I'm here. I'm going to come in. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to work harder than anybody else in this building, and I'm going to show it to these guys to try to gain their trust, show them that I'm here to work. And you know, if you put a little faith in me, I, I have a I have a very talented skill set that will help us win football games. I, there's a lot in that answer I like. I mean, you, at the end you hear there's the confidence. I mean, this is a guy who – as you said, set a bunch of records in college, was also a, you know, Division One recruit in basketball. I mean, a really good athlete who's been really good at a lot of things his whole life. So he's got a little bit of that swagger you want from a quarterback, but he's also accountable. And he realized, like, look, yes, there are mitigating circumstances, but I wasn't very good in Denver, and there's stuff I got to do better. So I just I like that in just one short answer, we kind of saw some of the humility, but also the confidence that you want out of your quarterback. 
Well, and we heard that the entire press conference because one of the other things he said he learned from Denver and going through those ups and downs is to take what's there. And that if what you have is a one-yard check down, he's learned just to take that and live for the next play. And it sounds to me, and I did not watch a whole lot of Drew Lockheck, I don't watch a whole lot of AFC, but it sounds to me like he was also trying to force things to make up for whatever the the bad play was, right? And now we'll see if this plays out once we get to real games. But now it seems like he's learned a little bit of patience and that, you know, he's seeing the game in a different way. Yeah, I mean, that's you go through those struggles, you're either going to learn or you're probably going to be out of the league pretty quick. So he's learned some of mistakes. And again, I think Pete Carroll will work really hard on that with him of, you know, yes, we want you to take your shots, but you got to do it in the right spot. And sometimes you got to take the safe out and, and move to, move on to the next play and not turn the ball over. He wants to make his own name here in Seattle. He has been number three through his entire career and chose not to do that because he wanted to respect Russell Wilson and the legacy that he created here, and he wants to create his own, which I thought was another very cool little tidbit from that introductory meeting from him. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think he knows as well as anybody. It would have been really awkward even if the team had wanted to let him wear three. It would have put a lot of undue pressure and weird situation on him. So, yeah, it's good for him. Fresh start in a lot of ways, and... Why not try a new number as well? But he also feels the pressure because he knows that while right now it looks like he could be the starting quarterback, that might not be the case come week one. Nothing has been promised as, you know, as I would want. I'd want them to come in here and tell me I need to earn it. Tell me I need to come in and work. Tell me I need to come in and compete. I need to play well. There's a lot of things I need to do to show this organization that I should be the one taking those snaps. But right now, nothing is promised. It's just my job to come in and, and work extremely hard and compete for that starting job. You know, one of the big things we heard out of Pete Carroll at the owners' meetings this week is, you know, first of all, they want to re-sign Geno Smith. He's been pretty consistent about that this offseason. And if Geno Smith is back, he's going to be right in the mix. You know, he, he played pretty well in the games he started. He's going to have the leg up in terms of knowing the offense. But one thing Pete Carroll said is whether or not they bring in Smith, he, the way he put it is they're still in the quarterback business. They want to get that fourth guy in, and you know that could be someone they draft next week. It could be a free agent. You know We've heard a lot of rumors about trade potentially being out there. There could be a trade. So there's going to be another quarterback in here, probably somebody that you know, we're not talking just like a camp arm, but somebody they see as someone who can p- compete. So it's going to be a real fun camp. They keep comparing it to 2012 and kind of that – you know, you go out, you, you sign three legit sign guys. Matt Fli- yeah, I mean, you have the returning starter in Tavares Jackson. You sign Matt Flynn, whoever, and assumed, okay, that's your guy. Then you go draft Russell Wilson, and, oh, he turned out to be a Hall of Fame caliber quarterback, and that worked out pretty well. So, yeah, I think this is going to be a really fun competition to watch in camp, and I think we'll see at least one more name in, in addition to Geno Smith add to that mix. Well, and it's not just Pete saying that. John Schneider said that, and I think you can hear, I don't know if it's excitement or urgency. You tell me when you hear John talk about what that quarterback room is going to look like. We'll continue to explore options, but we have a ton of faith, and Drew, we're excited about it. We're ex- excited about a, a change of scenery for him. You know, I know a couple of my buddies who were trying to acquire him all last spring into the fall, you know, so he, he's a guy that, you know, in my opinion, the media has uh, beat down a little bit. So uh, we're excited to get him into our culture with our coaching staff, and we'll continue to, to uh, uh, look for guys to, to compete with them. As Pete has stated earlier, you know, Gino did, Gino did a nice job for us. There's a number of guys that are still available, and we're going to continue to work through that.
I think that sounds like urgency. I don't know. It's a mix of like urgency and excitement to me. Yeah. I can't quite tell. He's well, yeah, very but, excited about yeah, this. But the urgency is also like, yeah, you need to figure out who your starting quarterback is. That's awfully important in this league. So they understand that, look, that for the future of this franchise and the situation that was developing, trading Russell Wilson is what they felt like was the best move. But they're not dummies. They know that trading Russell Wilson means in terms of winning games in 2022, their job got a lot harder. Yeah, well, I also, look, I always look forward to when the NFL schedule is released. It is one of my favorite days of the year. And then I map out, you know, wins and losses and where we're going to be and what we're going to be doing and where we're eating. There's just a whole lot that goes into that day for me. (laughs) But this year, I'm also going to evaluate it based on what's the easiest landing spot for whoever is quarterbacking. Because it is unlikely that the Seahawks, unless there is a big trade for a veteran name, have a quarterback that has established himself as a regular starter. Mm -hmm. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how that sets up. I also think it's worth pointing out again, we did this at the end of the year. By virtue of where the Seahawks finished in the division, they will be playing an easier schedule than they have played in a number of years. Now, there's a lot of things that can happen based on trades and movements and injuries and everything. Plus, they have to play the entire AFC West, which... Okay, you know what, John? <laughs> Not easy. John. Sorry. Just stop. I was on a roll, and I was going for optimistic. All right, sorry. Way to crash the party. Look, this is not just about the offense, but I do want to hear from one more piece of the offense that the Seahawks resigned because there was a huge question as to whether Rashad Penny had done enough to earn another contract or if he was going to go and test the market because the last few weeks of the season seemed to indicate that he was exactly the running back that the Seahawks drafted. They knew that he could put up those numbers. At the end of the day, Rashad Penny comes home for at least one more year and says that uh, he can pick up where he left off. For the most part, I've always like believed in my abilities and have confidence, you know. Um, but you know, I just been, I just been uh, the injury part, you know, that just came into play. But I've always been confident in the abilities and what I can do, and um, I'm pretty sure everybody else have too. And um, I'm just thankful to be back here, you know. Um, I think. Like, this means a lot to me. And, um, you know, to be back with the same running back group, you know, same type of guys that surround the building, you know, this is, this is just a lovely environment. And um, I wouldn't trade for anywhere else. Tell you what, Pete Carroll is not I – mean, he's going to get excited about everything. But the way he's been talking about this Rashad Penny sign, you can tell, like, this was really important to him because it wasn't just – obviously, Rashad Penny's numbers were so impressive, but it's the way when, when they run the ball like that, what it does for that whole offense when you look at – Russ's numbers were the best all year the last few weeks when they were running the ball. They get all those explosive pass plays out of it, and then obviously you get all the rushing yards. So that that was really important for them to get Rashad Penny back. You you know, you hope Chris Carson, as Pete Carroll said this week, you know, they, they don't know for sure what it's gonna be like for him until he gets some contacts. But if you can have both those guys and have that one two punch, get that running game, you know, we keep talking about the quarterback. It's gonna make it a lot easier on whoever the quarterback is if you've got a good running game with those guys. I've been re-watching some of those games at the end of the year, and that's when Rashad was just breaking out in, you know, eight yards, 25 yards. The other thing that really helped, third down conversion numbers. Yeah. There were a number of times they weren't facing third and long. Heck, they weren't even getting to third down with the way that he was running the ball. So it absolutely helps all the way around. Here's what else is going to help the offense. Defense. Offense is not evaluated in a vacuum, even though you want to look at those offensive numbers. Time on the field makes a difference, and what your defense is giving you 
makes a difference. I'm also going to throw out there, special teams did a great job in field position, but you have got to get more out of your defense. I think you are going to do that with some draft picks. We're going to hear from John Schneider in just a minute. But how do you see defense fitting into this? Because this has always been the Pete Carroll Seahawks way. Yeah. And I, I one of the things I've loved most about this offseason is Pete Carroll's made it pretty clear that, look, he, you know, he's a defensive guy. He's done things a certain way a long time, but he's made it clear more more this offseason than ever that he is open to change to do what's best for this defense. And, you know, Clint Hurt is the new coordinator who's obviously been around, but his defensive philosophy isn't always the same as Pete Carroll's. And he's he and Pete have both made it clear they're going to do some things different. It's going to have a lot more of a 3-4 feel to it. And then the secondary, I think we're going to see some cool things coverage-wise with Sean Desai and Carl Scott coming in. So, you know, I, to me, training camp, it'll be a lot of fun just sort of to start to get a glimpse of what this defense looks like, how they're going to use guys on the back end, hopefully how this benefits the pass rush because that's been a issue the last two seasons of some inconsistency on the pass rush, and now you're going to look a little different up front, and maybe that'll help guys get home more. But, yeah, the, you're right, having this defense get back to – something close to what it was earlier last decade, that would help everybody out a lot. I think what I am hearing when I talk to Clint Hurt or when I listen to Pete Carroll, I think what I'm hearing of this defense is Clint Hurt is willing to take more chances and be more aggressive Mm -hmm. in coverage. And we know that that was not Ken Norton's style. Not a knock on him, just wasn't his style. And for a while, you didn't have to do that. I think the other thing is if you commit to 3-4, and the guys have said very rarely do you play base defense the entire time, right? So this is a little bit of just like, I don't know, hypothetical semantics, whatever you want to call it. I do think it allows for Jamal Adams to be in the box more and to be utilized more on the edge because if you are going to commit to that from the beginning, you're going to build the entire defense differently and then you're going to ask different things. So I think that that's what we're going to be seeing and more ball hawking, and I think that this all goes back to why the Seahawks were comfortable in releasing Bobby Wagner. And that's a hard thing to say when you look at the number of tackles, but in the NFL, if you can't get edge rushers, I can, I can get a middle linebacker, and please do not, do not think that I am saying that I'm, I'm glad Bobby's not here. But if you just look at a personnel and a defensive scheme, edge rushers. That's where the NFL is. Yeah, I mean, that's, you go back the last two off seasons when Pete Carroll's talked about, you know, what they need to improve at the end of each season. He's brought up the pass rush both the last two years is the first thing he mentioned. So, you know, I think we could see him attack that in the draft. They've went out and signed a couple guys already. It, it's a it's a position, you know, not necessarily just off the edge. It's maybe it's these interior guys like Shelby Harrison, Quentin Jefferson they added who can add to that. But that's something they gotta get better at. Well, and and I do think that it's important to use some of that draft capital because it can't just be guys with years on their legs. Let's just say that. It it helps to cultivate a guy, to get a guy like a Frank Clark or Or Quentin Jefferson or Daryl Taylor, right? Like any of these guys and and cultivate them and groom them into your system. Okay, so I promised that we would hear from John Schneider. He's talking about draft capital. They got a lot back when they traded Russell Wilson, and it's uh, picks that they need in this upcoming year. Oh, it's enormous. When we made the Jamal trade, you know, it was a, you're you're talking about COVID years here. So you have two really funky years and uh, to be able to, get the ninth pick, right? And then um, to be able to, you know, get to, to 40 and 41 for us was, was, was big, especially in this draft. And, uh, you know, we're going to pick eight times. I say that, I have no idea how many times we're going to pick, right? Uh, but 
Uh, yeah, it, it, it's really big. And then especially next year when the majority of the cap space uh, comes to an effect, into effect uh, with, with Russell's contract and then uh, the draft capital next year as well with the two ones and the two twos. So, you know, four picks in the first two rounds. You know, we, we already talked about they're not rebuilding. They want to win right now. But it is worth looking at. This does set up really well for a couple years down the road. I mean, this year they're in good position with those draft picks. But as John just mentioned, you got two ones and two twos next year, and a ton of money comes off the books with the Russell Wilson trade next, starting in 2023. So they're going to have all sorts of ability to improve the team next offseason as well. But even this draft, having three picks in the top 41 is a big deal. And number nine, that – that pick is either going to get you a really good player or he kind of joked, we don't know how many times they'll pick because they could move back. And I think one thing to consider is when we're used to seeing this team trade back from, you know, 26 to 28 or whatever, the value of dropping a few spots in the late round, late first round versus if you move back, let's say there's, you're sitting there at nine and there's four players you love equally and a team picking at 13 or 14 wants to come up and get that ninth pick and you feel comfortable doing it what you get back for moving those three, four spots early in the first round versus late is pretty huge. I mean, you're talking significant, you know, second, third round picks coming back your way if you're doing that. So if they do move back, which certainly would not shock me, they're going to get a bunch of really good picks for doing it. You know, and I think we're obviously going to do a podcast around the draft. Yeah. But I also think this is another one of those points that maybe the pessimists out there would look and say, are you pleased with the players the Seahawks have drafted in the last few years. And what I would actually ask you, John, is how different is it now when you know that what you're drafting are playmakers who are going to play right now versus I'm trying to draft you to go into the Legion of Boom where you're not going to get to play all the time, and you've got to – figure out how to navigate strong personalities and guys that are getting the majority of the playing time, that's a different evaluation versus, okay, let's go get best available at every spot because we know that we've got room to plug you in. Yeah, for sure. That's a big difference. And also just where you are in the draft order. It's people, it's really easy to look at a bunch of Seahawks late first round picks that haven't been great and say like, oh, they're bad at drafting, but go find me another team that consistently drafts well at the back of the first round is that those are not easy to hit picks and you know some teams have hit on them but teams miss in that range all the time it's you know when you're drafting top 10 or whatever that's when okay that's an obvious guy who should be really good for you so yes there's some picks I'm sure they'd love to redo and they haven't hit on all of them by any means but it is a lot easier to draft well when as you said you're going to be able to pick guys who can just come right in and compete right away with less you know big roadblocks in front of them and you're just picking earlier in the first and second round. Yeah. Yeah, because when you start picking in the later round, you still have first rounder attached to your exactly. name. Exactly. Right? So there's the there's expectation the, there's that the you're going to be like the number one guy. Well, that it's just it's just different. Mm-hmm. It's just different. Okay. What do you think they do with their uh, their top draft pick? I don't need a name. I just want a position group. I have my thoughts. I mean, the most obvious to me is either an edge rusher or a tackle. Right now, I mean, let's... Those are two position groups. Are you taking an edge... I'm not going to take... I'm assuming that you're not saying defensive tackle. I'm assuming you're saying offensive tackle. I'm saying offensive tackle. I'm going to... As much as Pete Harp's on pass rush, as things stand now, I'm going to go to tackle just because you're real thin there right now if you don't re-sign some guys. Now, look, if we get between now and the draft, if Dwayne Brown re-signs, if Brandon Shell re-signs, especially if both re-sign, then I think edge rush becomes the most likely, but... Just based on need, I, I think tackle makes a lot of sense as well. 
I mean, you make a strong case. I just, I want an edge rusher. I want that guy, man. It is so hard. Now, I realize it's really hard to find a left tackle. I'm not saying that, but it's so hard to find those guys. And then you get them on their, their rookie contract. Like, get a good one. Yeah. Then you're not Then you're not having to pay big bucks. I mean, their history like, agrees with yeah. you. They've used a lot more early picks on, on D-end edge rush types than just about anything. So, I'm, I think. That's a very, very real possibility. I'm just... You're just being nice. Until they... Well, no, I just... There's two tackles on the team. Three, I think. But one one from the practice squad last year. Two two tackles who were on the 53 last year are currently on the team. So That does seem to be an area of that's, need. That's, but again, It's I going think, to get addressed. Yeah, we they're know not gonna going to go to training to camp with two tackles. Don't worry, everyone. <laughs> but uh, I guess to me it's just, do they address it in a significant way between now and the draft? And if they do, then I'm all for loading up edge rushers. But if they don't... Getting a tackle oh. early might be nice. Let's go edge rushers. And, let's you know, I love Dwayne Brown. So let's just I resign. I know. Can we just let's resign Dwayne? Back. Let's sign Dwayne. Let's I'm sign Dwayne. No? Um, but, yeah. Would you like, let's sign Shell? We could do that one, too. No? <laughs> okay. Well, I think that John is tired of me. This is why we have not done podcasts regularly Never. during the offseason. However, we will be back with you around the time of the draft because clearly we have so much more to talk about. We hope that you've enjoyed this edition of the Seahawks Insiders Podcast.